There are a number of missing persons cases right here in the Carolinas, and some have received more media attention than others. These are the stories that tug at our heartstrings, make us pray it never happens to anyone in our families, and wonder if there is still any way to find closure for these missing persons and their loved ones. I'm Renee Robertson. Please join me for Missing in the Carolinas. Thank you for tuning in to the very first episode of Missing in the Carolinas. As a longtime resident of the state of North Carolina, I've been a freelance journalist and writer for the past 16 years. I've always been drawn to cold case investigations and missing persons cases. I was one of those girls reading Anne Rule back in high school, and I've written several short stories inspired by actual cases I've read about in the news. You can imagine my delight when true crime podcasts came onto the scene several years ago. Some of my favorites include Broken Hearts, Dr. Death, The Vanished, Unsolved Murders, The Minds of Madness, and The Man in the Window. It was while listening to the South Florida Sun Sentinel podcast, Felonious Florida, that I first got the idea to create a podcast focusing solely on cases in North and South Carolina. Last spring, Our local public radio station held a contest looking for new podcast ideas. I thought this might be a good opportunity to get my idea in front of people who could help me develop it and possibly produce it. I outlined the episode format I wanted to use, my target demographics, a bio, and a podcast title and cover art. I was pumped for the opportunity. Then, reality hit. The way this particular contest was being run... I had to ask acquaintances to vote for my podcast idea on Facebook every day for a few weeks straight. And anyone who wanted to enter a podcast idea in the contest was allowed to do so, leaving more than 200 podcasts in the running. Furthermore, some podcast ideas were backed by large businesses and other organizations, so they utilized their email lists and social media fans to encourage voting every day. My podcast idea quickly fell out of the running, and I'll admit I was pretty discouraged by the experience. But little by little, the idea to create the podcast on my own stayed with me. 
I started listening to podcasts that featured interviews with podcasters so I could learn more about the technical components. One of my favorite marketing podcasts is Jenna Kutcher's Gold Digger podcast. I came across one episode titled Behind the Scenes of Podcasting with Kathy Heller. It's episode 132 of the Gold Digger podcast, by the way, in case you want to check it out. It's a good one. Kathy Heller is the creator of the Don't Keep Your Day Job podcast and nonfiction book of the same name, and she's also a very savvy entrepreneur. I felt like she was speaking directly to me when she said the following statement in the interview. I believe there are no extras in the game of life. I want my listeners to figure out and crystallize the thing that calls to them, how they can do it full time. It doesn't matter if others are doing it. If you're called to it, you'll find your way. When you align so deeply with something you care about, the world will unfold for you if you put the work in. Researching and reporting true crime is something I feel truly, wholeheartedly passionate about. I have for years. Before, I never had the confidence to follow through on the stream. After listening to this interview, which included a downloadable podcast checklist, I started brainstorming what this podcast would look like on paper. Slowly, I checked things off my list. I already had a recording software on my computer. I purchased a microphone and a good set of headphones. I settled on a format, and I began studying email list building and marketing strategies. Then I began researching and writing the scripts for the first few episodes, which actually takes way longer than most people think. Today is going to serve as a teaser episode, highlighting three separate cases that will serve as the next several episodes of Missing in the Carolinas. This episode will provide you with an overview of what you can expect in each week's episode of Missing in the Carolinas. But before we get started today, I'd like to take a minute to talk about the sponsor for this episode. By day, I work as a journalist and magazine editor, but I also enjoy creative writing and entering writing contests. If you like writing flash fiction and creative nonfiction, you should check out the contests over at WOW Women on Writing. They hold quarterly flash fiction contests where you can enter stories with a minimum of 250 words and a maximum of 750, and also a quarterly creative nonfiction essay contest. The entry fees for these contests are very reasonable, and you can also purchase a critique to get more feedback on your writing once the contests conclude. Enter for your chance to win a variety of prizes, from cash to prizes donated by WOW partners that will help you improve your writing game, and the winners are also published and interviewed on the site. Learn more at wow-womenonwriting.com and click on the contest tab. And now, let's get back to the show. The case of Zeb Quinn has always piqued my interest because it occurred in my hometown of Asheville, North Carolina. Zeb was an 18-year-old local resident who was attending AB Tech Community College, working at a local Walmart, and saving money to buy himself a new car. On January 2, 2000, Zeb made plans to go and look at a car that was for sale after his shift at Walmart was over. His friend, 21-year-old Jason Owens, accompanied him. But here's where the story gets a little interesting. The two men were caught on a gas station surveillance camera picking up sodas and then driving off separately. Zeb never arrived home that night and was never heard from again. 
The circumstances surrounding Zeb's disappearance were suspicious, to say the least. Jason Owens said after leaving the gas station, Zeb had flashed his car lights on, indicating he wanted Jason to pull over. He said he needed to find a payphone to return a page, and Jason said he seemed distracted. This was back before everyone had a smartphone, and some people chose to carry pagers. According to Jason, Zeb drove off and returned about 10 minutes later and rear-ended Jason's car. He said he had an emergency to deal with and that he'd be in touch later. This is only the tip of the iceberg in this case, and the mystery of Zeb's disappearance resurfaced once again in 2015. We'll discuss this case at length in Episode 2. The disappearance of Kyle Fleischman remains one of Charlotte, North Carolina's saddest mysteries because it could happen to any of us. Kyle was a 24-year-old young professional who visited a bar in Uptown after a night out at a Dane Cook comedy show in November of 2007. When the group decided to leave, Kyle mentioned he wanted to stay a little longer, as he had met a woman at the bar and was dancing with her. Video surveillance later showed that he got into a verbal altercation with two men, one of whom was dating the woman he had been dancing with. Kyle was most likely heavily intoxicated when he left the bar after last call without his coat, wallet, or debit card, as well as an open bar tab he left behind. Private investigators later learned he stopped at Fuel Pizza and bought a few slices to eat, probably with some cash he had on him. It was a cold night, and after eating the pizza, he made a few calls on his cell, probably looking for a ride. One was to his father, and another was to his best friend. Remember that this was before the days of smartphones and Uber Lyft apps. He was in a bind. A taxi driver reported seeing Kyle, looking cold without a jacket and disoriented, walking away from uptown and into a part of town that had a lot of construction going on at the time. His phone died, and no one ever heard from him again. His parents do have a theory about Kyle's fate, and that will also be revealed in a separate podcast episode about Kyle. Liz and John Calvert seem to have it all. Their story takes place on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, which is known for its beautiful beaches, miles of paved bicycle trails, picturesque golf courses, and tennis courts. Most people who have visited Hilton Head Island stay at the Sea Pines Resort or at least visit the area sometime during their stay. Sea Pines features a yacht basin with boutiques, restaurants, live entertainment, water activities such as kayaking and dolphin tours, and fishing charters. But on March 3, 2008, a prominent couple, well known on the island, disappeared and were never heard from again, and the case has taken many twists and turns over the years. Elizabeth and John Calvert were two professionals who were truly living the dream. They split their time between Georgia, where Liz worked for a Savannah law firm, and Hilton Head Island, where John owned four businesses, including one that operated the marina at Hilton Head. At the time of their disappearance, they had been scheduled to meet with a man named Dennis Gerwing, who was the chief financial officer of the club group, a realty group that manages property on the island. The Calverts suspected money had been embezzled from their businesses and wanted to transfer the accounts from the club group. But no one ever heard from the Calverts again. 
Liz and John were legally declared dead in November 2009, but their bodies have never been found. If cases like these interest you, I invite you to join me each week for a new episode exploring the missing people of North and South Carolina. Subscribe to Missing in the Carolinas on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll also be dropping bonus episodes a few times a month, and subscribers will be the first to know. If you want to visit my blog and read more about the true crime cases from all over the country, including ones featured here, visit missinginthecarolinas.com. And don't forget to check out our sponsor, WOW, Women on Writing, and the great programs and writing contests they have to support writers at www.wow-womenonwriting.com. Cover art for this podcast was designed by Macintosh Multimedia. All episodes are researched and written by me, Renee Robertson, with sound editing provided by Mia Robertson. Thank you so much for listening.